Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This week's major spoilers podcast goes out in equal 33 and a third repeating increments to Dr. E.J. Clark, the writer of Charlotte's Web, George White, noted 19th century journalist, and Andrea Orth, who wrote The Seventh Feel for Ingmar Bergman. In any case, we appreciate all our faithful spoilerites, and this one goes out today. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rob. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, the Doctor returns Stephen's Invincible, Matthew's in the eye candy, and Rodrigo's absenteeism is starting to be an issue. I'm probably going to have to issue a verbal warning upon his return. AIs battling to the death, PIs battling zombie priests, UTIs are painful as hell, and JBL is a three-time world champion. On a long and lonesome highway east of Omaha, you can listen to the Bendis moaning out his one-note song, or think about Didio and the bat you knew the night before. But your thoughts will soon be wandering the way they always do when you're reading 16 comics and there's nothing much to do and you don't feel much like reading. You just wish the major spoilers podcast was on the air. Hey, everyone, welcome to issue 370, 370 shows that we have done. You know, we forgot. What's that? We forgot to make the 360 degree joke 10 issues ago. I think you did. We came back full circle. Oh, did I? Yes, you did. Awesome. Well, this is the 10th anniversary (laughs) of the 360 degree joke. How are you? Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Hopefully you had a good holiday break. I know we got a little uh, time off a day or so. It was just regular weekend. Mm. Rob, did you anything fun? I went home and did nothing all weekend. Rob is back once again for the vacationing Rodrigo, who did not call in this week. Matthew, what about you? I actually had a whole day off from everything, which uh, then ended up getting eaten up by um, staring into space and reading Carl Barks Duck Comics. There you go. Not much news going on this week. This is that dead time of the year. Probably next week there won't be much either because... All of the publishers are trying to get out all the rest of their comics that they said were going to be released this year. So this week, there's a few comics coming out. We've got some reviews coming up later in the show. But news items, not a lot. We can talk about, well, Matthew, you saw the Doctor Who Christmas Carol uh, this past weekend, right? I did. How was it? It was... Well, I don't want my pause to be an indicator that anything was wrong with it. I think that it's important to note that every doctor, and specifically every showrunner who runs every doctor, has specific tropes that they come back to over and over and over. And I feel like this year's uh, Christmas special was kind of concentrated 11th doctor, and everything that, uh, I believe it's Russell T. Davies now, or Davis, who is running the show likes to throw in. So, you know, the power of love showed up and the, the big thing where everything is like, Ooh, it's a huge thing. And Oh wait, that's not supposed to happen. 
And of course, they had a little bit of stunt casting and a little bit of awesome and a little bit of continuity. Although the continuity I didn't quite understand necessarily. It was good. It wasn't the best Christmas special. That still for me is probably the next doctor from two, three years ago. But it was good. It was a strong special. It was a strong issue. Yeah, one of the people that I've said, uh, seen on Twitter and some other places, said it was such a good episode, they were crying by the end. Not for you? I didn't necessarily cry. It was definitely, it, it was it was cry-worthy up to a point. But it was also, I don't know, I always feel a little bit too cynical about these things i always feel like i can tell when the story beats are coming and the music is swelling and they're trying to make sure that i feel and it gets to there is a very very strong emotional center and a great big sentimental awe at the end of the episode which nothing wrong with that certainly nothing wrong with that but i kind of felt it coming i liked the fact that most of the episode was the doctor interacting with two kids hmm that was actually pretty cool. Edmund and uh, the little girl from Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? I don't know her name. D- Elizabeth? Dave. I forget what her name was. Lily. Was, was that the what it character. was? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but in any case, it it was good. Four slices good, five slices good, good, two slices That's good. Three and a half for me. All right. Fair enough. Strong episode, not the greatest episode in the known universe, but then again, what is? Well, everyone knows that. Well, the caves of Androzani, of exactly. Course, episode, but <laughs> all right. Well, fair enough. I haven't watched it yet. I don't even know if our uh, DVR recorded it because my littlest one, the sidekick, for whatever, mm. he's going to be a technology freak. As he learns to crawl, the first thing that he goes to is to the DVD player and the DVR, and now he's realized that there's buttons on the front of the DVR. No. <laughs> and he was actually pushing buttons the other day and setting plus thumbs up and thumbs downs and canceling a couple of recordings as he was pushing things. So I don't know if we got the Doctor Who Christmas Carol or not. So, Uh-oh. Rob, are uh, you excited about Thor 2? Yeah. Did you like the first one? I thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay. Well, you know, Kenneth Branagh is not directing that one because of a time conflict. He's gone on record as saying, I would have loved to direct it. I've just got scheduling conflicts with some of the other flicks that I'm working on. Maybe I'll get to direct another Marvel movie in the future. And so they had hired um, Patty Jenkins. Great name for a director, Patty Jenkins. And uh, she was on board for Thor 2. And then she left a couple of weeks ago, seems like maybe a month ago, over creative differences. And that's what everybody says when there's a huff over something that they don't want to really talk about. Creative differences. It's the helmet. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. I finally saw Thor, and I will tell you I have one major complaint about the episode. Okay. The whole movie. They no sold the helmets. Thor lost his helmet. He had it on in like an early scene, mm-hmm. and then did not wear his helmet again for the remainder of the film. And then Loki put on his evil helmet, but he didn't have his big, giant, super giant helmet with horns. <laughs> right, right. Like he had in that first sequence. They no-sold the helmets. Uh, I, I'm wondering, yeah. you know, anytime that you have masks, and this was something that I was concerned about with Iron Man, but mm-hmm. and they did work around it, is actors don't like having their faces covered. Because... Well, maybe they need to stop making superhero movies then. No, it, you know... Uh, <sighs> The uh, Eric Stoltz did a really good job when they covered up his face in uh, Mask. 
Um, what was the um, what was that um, Mel Gibson the, movie? The man with the half man a face? without a face. Ma- oh yeah, man yeah. without a face. He did good on that one. But uh, if you remember, like in Chinatown, um, uh, Jack Nichols- Nicholson was having such a dispute with um, who was the director of that one? Jack Nicholson. No, but they were having such a such a dispute that the that they the director wrote in that scene where he gets his nose cut so that he has to wear that bandage covering up his face for 20, 30 minutes of the movie. And so I'm wondering if this is one of those things where the helmets have to come off because it's obscuring my better side. Um, And maybe that was one of the creative differences. Maybe Patty Jenkins wanted it and nobody else. She wanted the helmets and nobody else wanted. Uh, And so she walked. And so there was this real risk that they were not going to be on schedule to get this movie released. Uh, But fortunately, they have found a director in the form of Alan Taylor, the guy who has directed uh, Game of Thrones and Boardwalk Empire. Have you seen those on HBO? I haven't seen any of them yet. What with not having HBO? God, Rob. I'm poor. I haven't seen any. Um. What about you, Matthew? Have you seen the Game of Thrones or um, uh, Boardwalk Empire? I have not seen Boardwalk Empire. I'm looking forward to seeing it on Netflix. I have no, literally zero interest in Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones uh, was, um, what's the phrase? It was Jerry Maguire'd for me a long time ago. Really? I had a friend who loves the Game of Thrones and the Game of Thrones is the greatest thing ever. And he likes the Game of Thrones because it's a guy a Game of Thrones and he says Game of Thrones. It's like having a 14 minute conversation and you know you're talking to somebody who, you know, is a Baptist because she said Jesus 300 times in two minutes. I have no interest in any of Martin's fantasy novels, The Song of Ice and Fire, The Bag of Hammers and Cheese. I mean, none of it. And you can call me a heretic if you want. I just I, I don't want to read them because they were so oversold and shoved. And when I actually tried, I just kind of went, no, no. If I I mean, if I want to read George Martin, I'll go back and read my wild cards novels. Again. Right. But you've not seen the uh, the HBO adaptation. I don't have HBO. Anymore. Oh, OK. Um, Game of Thrones. I saw like the first episode when it came out, but then I realized, oh, there's a lot of nudity here. It's uh, not appropriate for the young one to be walking through the living room while I'm trying to watch this. And so I haven't seen anything else besides that. But the first episode was well directed. Uh, the cinematography was really good. Now, granted, they're not going to bring the DP over to uh, the Thor movie, but uh, Alan Taylor's back on, and it looks like they've got the uh, picture back on schedule. However, Marvel slash Disney did push the movie back from a June-July release to November 13th, 2013. Marsney. Yeah, I don't know why Thor would be a holiday release. It, I don't know, it feels weird. Because he comes from the land of the ice and snow, just like Santa Claus. Duh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Does that well, have Simon Bar Sinister from Underdog in it? Because <laughs> yes. if it does, I may have seen half an episode of it. Of which one? Of uh, Game, um, of of Thrones? Game of Thrones? I don't know. Without don't know. realizing it? I don't know. I don't know either. Um, yeah, I mean, it could be very well. I mean, if you go look at 2013, there are a number of other movies coming out that summer that are big name movies. And Disney may be thinking, you know what? So many people are trying to jump on the uh, the summer blockbuster, grab all the money that they can, that it might be better for us to get it out on the 13th of November, which is odd because it is the week week or two before thanksgiving be two weeks most likely yeah so that's in that weird doldrums 
place for releases. So it could also say something about the studio's commitment or belief in the movie. Didn't Thor the first come out in a weird place, according to you? It came out at the... In April, I think, or something like that. Either last weekend of April or beginning weekend of May, so it like launched the summer blockbuster season. No, it it, it definitely came out before before Iron Man. Yeah, it was like four days before that. There was no way it was part of summer blockbuster. Yeah, it, it wasn't. It, it was also <laughs> one of those weird. It was like the beginning of April, I think. If I, we'll have to go back and look. Um, it was May, but, the 6th. Uh, May the sixth. May the sixth. Well, that would have yeah. been at the because at the that beginning. was Free Comic Book Day this year. Yeah, oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Um. The movie didn't do as well as they had hoped. Now, granted, it made back its budget and then some, but in the United I States, it did it didn't. like four hundred and fifty million. Yeah, uh, worldwide, United States, it uh, didn't. I think it only made like one ninety-five domestic. Yeah, well, the like tomato guys think about it. The tomato guys haven't looked over at Rotten Tomatoes uh, to see what they thought of that. Yeah. Okay, so. Uh, but yeah, that November 13th, they're trying to grab some, maybe a different, uh, block that's opened up, but maybe the week before Thanksgiving. Let's see. Is that a, are you sure that's two weeks before? It's going to be one or two. Because if it's out the week before, most people are going to be off on Wednesday. So that's, eh, that, that's probably an okay release period. I'm just glad it's back on track. coming out? November 13th, 2013. 2003. Oh hell, the world will be over by for six months by that point. <laughs> Close to eleven months at that point. So yeah, you figure. Well, what's Thanksgiving is the it's third the week. 20, in, well, um, fourth week in November, so that's the twenty eighth. So the twenty fourth would be Thanksgiving in two thousand thirteen. Because it's Thanksgiving's on a Thursday, isn't it? The fourth yeah. Thursday, yeah. So, so the twenty fourth. So, so that would be the week before Thanksgiving if it comes out on the seventeenth. Of the thirteenth, yeah. um, all right. So well, maybe they'll they'll build some uh, some talk and some buzz and get some people in. I will say this for Thor: yes. the movie surprised me because I was watching it and I was watching, and then I looked away, and all of a sudden I'm like, "Who who's that?" And they're like, "Oh, that's the Warriors 3. And I'm like, "Okay, well, I recognize the guy with the Errol Flynn mustache, mm-hmm. and the fat guy's not fat enough, but I can deal with that. But why why what's with Jet Li?" And they're like, oh, that's the other guy. I'm like, okay. They're mixing I, it I, up. I, I, yeah. They gave him a race lift is what happened. And then, of course, Heimdall was amazing. I liked Heimdall whenever he was just like, I'm Heimdall. This is how I talk. What would you think of Sith? Eh. Or Sif. I, it, or what, what's her name? Sif? Sif. 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 Okay. It would have worked better for me if they weren't trying to play her off, Jane, and having it maybe... Maybe Sif has a crush on Thor. Maybe she doesn't. You know, I I liked Thor, but she kind of felt like the token ex-girlfriend role, Mm. especially since so much of the the female portion of the film was really stolen by the chick from two broke girls. Oh, yeah. The the assistant. Yeah, yeah, the assistant was just like, hi, I sure am stealing this scene. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right, everybody. Not a whole lot of not a whole lot of news this week, but you can certainly head over to Major Spoilers. You can check out some sneak peeks. You can check out some trailers for movies like The Hobbit and Prometheus. Uh, you can uh, oh, there's a, a a nice little feature about moving everyone out onto location for The Hobbit, which is pretty cool to watch. It's about 12 minutes long. Needless to say, it is a big endeavor. Uh, you can always check out. Guys, going to make a movie. 
What's that? It's a 12-minute movie about guys going to make a movie? Yeah, it's about the logistics <laughs> of getting everybody out in, into location. They had like something like 100, 100 trucks to haul everything out into location, and it took them basically two years to build wow. the on-location sets and everything. Two years worth of trucks. Yeah. This sounds like riveting television. Yeah, you really, you really should watch it, Matthew. It'll clear up everything. All right. Uh, don't forget, you can also Put head over to majorspoilers.com uh, slash store, and you can buy a Critical Hit t-shirt. Uh, you can check out a brand new episode of Top 5. This uh, this episode is the Top 5 Hot Women with Dark Hair. Very interesting. Very interesting list. And then, of course, you can also vote on the Major Spoilers Best and Worst of 2011. Not really vote, but cast your nominations for the Best and Worst of 2011. We'll be covering that next week on next week's episode. So if you've got a nomination or you'd like to say something, uh, now is the time to get your nominations over in on the Major Spoilers forum or to call the Major Spoilers hotline. We'll give you that number later in the show so that you have time to grab a pen and pen and paper so you can commit it to, to memory, to permanence. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Oh, uh, speaking of movies, I went and saw Tintin this past weekend. Really enjoyed it a lot. And we've got this caller who's called in to let us know a little bit more about what he thought of the Tintin movie. So stick around, and when we come back, reviews. Hello? Hey there, Major Spoilers. This is Jordan. You may remember me from uh, my questions about film school a few weeks back. Anyway, I'm calling in tonight to review The Adventures of Tintin in Real D 3D, which cost me about $2 extra per ticket. Anyway, um, I really liked it. I thought that it was a great use of the 3D technology. There was not a lot of, you know, the in-your-face kind of stuff. Um, the scenes flowed really well. Um, the thing that I liked the most, actually, was probably the music. It just had that really upbeat sort of feel that made everything kind of more happy, even if it was a sort of a dark scene. Um, I definitely recommend it to uh, children and adults of all ages, and I'd probably give it about an eight and a half out of ten stars. And I liked it. Anyway, love the show. Keep on keeping on. Thanks, guys. Also, as the year wraps up, we'd like to thank everyone who's made a donation to the Major Spoilers cause. You can head over to Majorspoilers.com. There's a link right there. You can make a one-time donation, a two, a five, or a $10 a month recurring donation. We're very pleased with everyone who has made a $10 a month recurring donation. And all those names that we've been reading at the top of the show, people who've donated $10 or more. If you'd like to do uh, get your name shouted out at the top of the show, that's all you got to do. Very simple. All right, Matthew, let us get to some reviews. Reviews. Got a lot of uh, books this week. Um, basically, I think all the books that we have came out in the last week, week and a half. Let's, uh, <laughs> Matthew, let's start with you with The Theater Number 3 from Zenoscope the Entertainment theater. because we do not give Zenoscope enough love and people have been asking us. Basically saying, what was our bias against Zenoscope, and why haven't we been reviewing more of their books on the podcast? Really? I thought they were just saying we love Marvel and hate everything else. Wing, wing, wing. Yeah, that too. That's what we it was. We get it from all sides. You know, the, there's the Dynamite <laughs> Entertainment people that are just like, oh, why aren't you guys reviewing Big Bosomy Woman on the cover this week? And then you've got the image people going, Robert Kirkman! Kirkman! <laughs> 
Kirkman! <laughs> you know, we get it from all sides. We just cannot please everyone, Rob. Well, I'm going to tell you right now. Here's my theory of comic books. Are you ready? Okay. Get a get a pencil. <laughs> okay. I read comic books. <laughs> I'm a citizen of the world, and I, by God, don't care if it came from Xenoscope or Marvel or some guy printing it in his backyard on the skin of a dead... Now that you mention it, I do care about that last one. Because uh, the skin of a dead rat is just kind of creepy. The Theater, number three, from Xenoscope Entertainment, came out this week. Yep. And The Theater actually caught my attention with the cover of issue one. Um, yeah. Big, what's his face? Speaking Art of big germ. bosom, bosomy women on the cover. <laughs> Stanley Lau, uh, mm-hmm. the guy who draws his art germ, did a cover yeah, for yeah. the Theater, number one. And I was just like, dude, I want to read this. And I read it. And it, 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 issue one kind of didn't live up to the awesome of the cover. And it kind of did. When I was a kid, I had a very, very seminal, one of my favorite books. It's, uh, an anthology of horror stories mm-hmm. called Silver Scream. Mm-hmm. And every story in Silver Scream is about a movie theater or about the movies or about, you know, something movie related. And I'm thinking, okay, I can dig this. So I'm, I'm looking at the cover and there's a, there's a redhead on the cover and she seems to be relaxing. I can't tell if it's like a a hentai tentacle monster or Cthulhu, but, you know, basically you get the juxtaposition of luscious young girl and creepy monster thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm down with that. Right. So I'm reading the theater and the theater starts with two people having sex in the lobby of a theater. And then they're like, wait, no, we want to go do this. And so they go and they have sex. In the theater. Yeah. And in, in the background of this scene, there's this creepy ghostly presence. Ooh, scary stuff, kids. And then it just stops. And all of a sudden, we cut to a guy in a psychiatrist's office. Uh, see, that's what I didn't get when I read this. It's like, what's going on? That seems like an abrupt jump. And I well, thought and maybe, he was, maybe he was that guy, but he let himself go or something. That's what I thought at first, too. Maybe that first part was a flashback, and this is what happened to this same guy years later. But it doesn't seem to be that. It seems like that framing sequence... Whatever's going on with the monster, that framing sequence is supposed to transition into this man in the psychiatrist's office. Hmm, Now, his story is very interesting. It's kind of, I don't know, for for people who are familiar with a a website. Is it eerie? Is it? Not really. uh, Oh, okay. If you're familiar with a website about the tropes of television, we won't go into the name. You'll know that there's a difference between a Twilight Zone ending and an Outer Limits ending. Right. And usually an Outer Limits ending means everyone dies screaming uh, for all intents and purposes. What if comics from Marvel are notorious for the Outer Limits ending? This book is a weird melange of both. A man wakes up and there's a strange hole in his ceiling. And it keeps getting bigger and he doesn't know what it is. And, you know, we meet his his horrible wife and his crapsack life and his beautiful, beautiful daughter, who is the 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 light of his life and the wonderful person. I, I think you see where I'm going. There's one scene here that puzzles me. You know, you know, you know, cats, right? Yeah, why do we see the cat butt? <laughs> why do we see the cat's butt? <laughs> you know, people are always complaining that people are are not drawing everything with all the detail that it should. And uh, the hardest of this issue, cat butt Choose right there in your face. Us, <laughs> yep. It's, it's a cat anus, but 
who I believe actually uh, is the name of the girl from Two Broke Girls who was in Thor. No, never mind. But it, it's interesting to me, the artistic choices in this issue. Because, you know, when you read a Xenoscope book, you do expect there to be some eye candy. And the eye candy comes in really weird places. The guy's horrible, horrible wife uh, is, oh, she's in bed with her boyfriend, half naked. Okay, we're fine. His wonderful light of his life daughter is running around in a micro mini and, and, a, and a tube top. And there's a sequence where he, he lures the wife to the house and with nefarious purposes you know, we see a, a behind shot of the wife and her thong sticking out of her super micro mini. But, uh, you know, aside from that, this story is actually a pretty passable 1980s, you know, Rod Serling revamp. Certainly not the man himself, but an 80s Twilight Zone reunion. And the man's house, his horrible, disgusting house, is really well realized. And you really get a feel for the filth and just the horrible, horrible place that this man lives in. Right. So you buy that. And of course there's a terrible outer limits ending at the end where, I mean, you know where you're going. If you, if you know what an outer limits ending is and you know, this man hates his wife, but loves his daughter. You know, if you've ever read the ending of Stephen King's thinner, you know where we're going here. And at the end of the issue, he's explained this whole thing to his psychiatrist. And she's like, yes, you have delusions and you're crazy. And, I don't remember that little hole in my desk before. Da, da, da. Yeah. Very skillful. I, I kind of like that. You know, even if it feels familiar, I like that. But then we cut back to the framing sequence somehow, <laughs> some way. And the framing sequence, you know, oh, we are done having sex. I wonder what is going on. I don't know. Hey, the door is locked. Aye. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to be continued. And at that point, I'm like, are you threatening me? <laughs> what are you doing here? So here's here's my my truth on the theater. There are uh, you know there there are art styles, right? This is a Xenoscope styled book. Sure it is. It's not an eye candy. You know here's here's a naked girl running around for twenty pages talking about her life as as a fable. But it is a Xenoscope styled book. It's a good book. The middle part of it is very strong. And the framing sequence is pretty much incomprehensible. Well, you know, that's the framing sequence is the one that I have the biggest problem with because there's the framing sequence in the first issue. There's the framing sequence in the second issue, and they are not connected in any way. None of except them are connected, they're in the except that they're in the theater, which is and something is happening in the theater. Did something. you read any of these, Rob? Whenever we passed them around, no, I thought about it this afternoon, and then it was like I should probably read the thing that we're all reviewing today oh okay <laughs> yeah it's a good call i'm gonna go with two and a half slices of meatloaf it's it, it surprised me and i think it may be something with an expectation on my part that that you know it would be all boobies and grandeur and mystical magical tarot the magic rose is that a, that's not a xenoscope book but you no. know what i mean yeah have and you not, you have know, you not read a lot of xenoscope books or, or have you I'm familiar with them. One of the I, nice things, know, especially like Grimm's fairy tales. And I think I, know I read, read the first two issues of Fly was the last. Oh, thing yeah, yeah, I yeah. Read. And that was that's pretty typical of some of the Zinoscope books. And, you know, what, what they do is they bring the titillation factor, which is fine. It's the yeah. late night Showtime Cinemax stuff without the, the nudity. But they also tell what I think are some fairly solid stories. Yeah, uh, they're not terrible, but they're not the best things in the world. But they're but they're solid and they're good reads. 
And so that's yeah. why I still like uh, getting these from Zenoscope and, and still reading them uh, because there's some, some good stuff in there. This is a strong story, and the, the, the framing sequence art is is weak. It's The framing sequence art is about one and a half star, but the actual meat of the tale, the actual, you know, scary, scary spaceman things that happened to this poor bastard mm-hmm. are well drawn. And, you know, e- even when you have that sequence where you see the wife's thong and you're like, okay, here's our, here's our fan service. Right. It doesn't detract from that story for more than me going, oh, okay, right. I remember now, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that there's a, there is a tendency and I, I play into it and I think we do it as well to kind of poo poo a Xenoscope book because of that eye candy factor. But I mean, they're, they're serving a specific group of readers. There are readers who want that eye candy in their horror stories, in their, you know, their fairy tales, whatever they're reading. And there's nothing wrong with that. This is there's nothing wrong with this book. It's actually slightly above average in terms of your kind of, you know, Twilight Zone storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's it is not Rod Serling Twilight Zone good, but it's certainly Forrest Whitaker Twilight Zone good. <laughs> that's terrible. So no, that's not terrible. That's exactly <laughs> true. And that's exactly what I want to say. It's a it is a story that I enjoyed reading about. And it may not be something that's going to stick with me like, you know, the monsters do on Maple Street. Right. But it is a strong book. I liked it. And I was, you know, pleasantly surprised by reading this book. So I would say two and a half slices of meatloaf for uh, Xenoscope's The Theater, number three. Is this a limited or is this an ongoing? I don't know the answer to that. It might be an ongoing. If this is, if this is a six-issue ongoing or a six-issue limited, I'm kind of hoping that this whole theater framing sequence thing gets explained because I want to know at the end, it looks like the girl just kind of Exploded. turns into a fine red mist. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering if the girl is actually some sort of evilness. Also, well, but if I you look at the, look at the frame before and you'll see that there's some evil shadow of evil falling upon her back. And I think it may be the evil shadow of the thing looking at them. Whoever yeah. drew the Alice in Wonderland, uh, Ad. Ad in the back. I think, mm-hmm. is that an Al Rio? Probably. He does a lot of stuff for them. My gosh, that is a striking image. Yeah. That is a gorgeous, gorgeous picture of a really, really well drawn. And, you know, say what you will, a realistically drawn. Now, porn star realistic, but a realistically drawn naked woman. You know, her, her proportions and her body shape actually could happen. Maybe with help from silicone, but could happen in the real world, which is more than I can say for, you know, a lot of the books that I read in the 90s. So, yeah. Damn, All right. that's Thank pretty. you. Thank you for that, Matthew. And certainly go check it out. It's worth checking out, I yeah. think. Uh, for me, this week, Invincible, number 86, from Kirkman! Kirkman! <laughs> My name is Kirkman, and I, I like I was Those threats were really starting to scare me, so I thought I'd better pick up a, a Kirkman Kirk book. Uh, from this company called Image, I guess, is what the... Is are the they company new? That, I, apparently, I thought they were called Kirkman Comics, but I guess they're called Kirkman! Image Comics. <laughs> no, I think they're called Skybound. Well, this Skybound! is actually, yeah, this is actually the imprint. And I think the uh, Skybound is Kirkman's uh, imprint <laughs> part. <laughs> so, I don't know where that. Invincible is one of my favorite non DC Marvel superhero characters. <laughs> um, but I haven't been reading the last couple of issues ever since he and. Rexplode or Dr. Dinosaur or whatever the character's name decided to team up to do something. Uh, So I picked up issue number 86 
And this is an issue that you can step into. If you kn- know what happened during the Viltrumite War, you knew that the, the enemy decided, the remainder of the Viltrumites, said that they were going to settle on Earth. You leave us alone. We'll leave you alone. Our race is about dead. We'll behave ourselves for millennium, right? Uh, this issue starts off with Alan the Alien and uh, Omni-Man just getting in a huge, bust-up, face-pounding, kick-your-crap-across-the-universe fight. Uh, because Alan the Alien has decided, since he's the supreme leader of all the United Federated Planets of SETI Omicron 6, he has decided to take the remainder of the um, Red Mist or whatever it is that will kill the Viltrumites and take it to Earth and do away with them. Problem is, because the DNA of the Viltrumites and the humans are so close together, there's a good chance that it will also wipe out all human life on earth and Omni-Man doesn't want that to happen. And Alan is like, no, this is going to happen. And so this issue really becomes a big conversation about why are the humans worth saving? We should get rid of them. And Omni-Man is look is like, look, I've lived among them. This is what's going to happen to all the Viltrumites. They're going to fall in love with the humans. They're going to let love into their lives. They're going to interbreed uh, they're going to do all these things, and they're going to change just like I was changed whenever I was on Earth. This is not a threat. And Alan is like, we're not going to, we can't take that risk. And then Kid Omni-Man comes up and says, hmm, why are you punching my dad? Oh, well, uh, we want to go and kill the rest of the Viltrumites on Earth, even though it may kill all the humans. And Kid Omni-Man is just like, yeah, go ahead. They're all assholes. <laughs> and uh, Did he say asshole? Yes, he does. He said, screw them. They're assholes. His, his exact words on the panel is, uh, let me find it here real quick. Um, Thank you, Bob Kirkman. Kirkman! Kirkman got a poop! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he says, uh, what you say about the people of Earth is true of my mother and of very few others. I've read the entirety of their written <laughs> history, and my opinion of them it differs from yours substantially. They're assholes. They care only for taking what they don't have from those that do. They're small and petty people who are nearly as addicted to violence as our race is. You believe Viltrumites will learn from them and be made better by it? I'm sorry, Father, but you're wrong. And so they kick his crap back down to uh, the big planet where apparently uh, uh, Omni-Man brought his wife uh, to live there. And she thinks that uh, Omni-Man has turned bad again. Until she sees him all blood, bloody and, and battered. And he's like, we've got to get to Earth to ward them. And then he passes out with all of the uh, space troopers surrounding them, ready to uh, haul him into prison. So, what will happen when Alan and the Space Force uh, unleash the More disease on Earth? Jokes. <laughs> yeah, maybe. This is what I found really odd. Of course, uh, Kirkman's writing is always good. Um <laughs> Kirkman! <laughs> Gotta poop! <laughs> uh, Corey, Corey Walker is back on art, which is interesting because... Yeah. Uh, because what's re- interesting is I'm so fond of Ryan Otley's art, and you can imagine that if these two were duking it out in space with Otley's art, art there would be a lot more blood. But uh, Walker tones it down. He really doesn't let it get too overly bloody. I mean, there's still some moments where you see <laughs> bloodied and banged up faces, but it's not like, you know, if uh, Otley was drawing it, you'd see the mouth open and like teeth all right. askew and, and like the buckets. eyeball hanging out and, you know, part of your what's, intestine what's there. What's weird for me is you go back and you read, you know, you read 
Otley came in after Framistat, right? Right, right. Walker started. You read those first issues, and then all of a sudden it transitions to Otley, mm-hmm. and it's really so subtle that you don't realize it's Otley. And then when, well, when Walker comes back and does an issue, you're like, what the heck is this? Well, maybe I don't even think Image knows that Corey Walker was back because in the solic- on their solicitation page on their site, they list... Kirkman as the uh, as the, the, the writer <laughs> and they list and they list Ryan Otley as the artist. But then in big, bold letters in the solicitation, their text, they're like, Corey Walker is back. And it's like, maybe you guys might want to <laughs> double check some stuff. But uh, yeah, the, their art styles are very similar to one another. Although if you look at them side by side, suddenly you're like, oh, yeah, these are totally different. But if it's month to month or biweekly or whenever that you're reading it, um, yeah, it's. Uh, uh, it's pretty subtle. I, I like the issue. It's pretty good. Um, it's something that you can jump into. You could have missed about six issues and step back into this book and been able to understand the story right from there. I'm giving it four slices of meatloaf out of five. I enjoyed it that much. Uh, Invincible is still a really good comic. I hope that it goes somewhere and becomes even more interesting in the next couple of chapters. <laughs> Kirkman! Got the poop! <laughs> <laughs> oh robert kirkman like will never apologize. be on our show now <laughs> like he was gonna be anyway <laughs> i would like to apologize well, what did you think was gonna happen next week when rob's not here <laughs> uh i thought we were gonna call on the hawaiian brian oh yeah there you go no you're go- you're gonna be back next week rob <laughs> okay <laughs> mainly because robert kirkman's not coming on the show now kirkman! <laughs> all right rob <laughs> People say we don't <laughs> review enough Batman stuff on this show. <laughs> Who are these they, people? They say we don't review enough? Yeah, they say we don't Who review enough Batman people? on this show. Are these people in your head? These are the same people that are threatening me over Kirkman and Booby Comics. Kirkman! <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. <laughs> Gotta <a> poop! <laughs> <laughs> It's incredibly juvenile and such fun to say that. I am 41 years old. I I, I have most of a master's degree. And I have such fun saying those three little words. Oh, geez. It's the secret of youth right there. Uh, All right. Let's jump back pre-52, which was months ago. Months and let's see what was happening with uh, Grant Morrison and his Batman Incorporated with this uh, one shot that DC put out, which is actually either two or three comics put together of uh, Batman three. Incorporated. Two two issues? Three issues? I think it's so about three issues, issues, but it's two chapters. Ah, okay. Is this what would have finished Batman Inc. Volume uh, the f- Yes, the first volume, yes. Leviathan so it Strikes. Went, it went nine issues, right? Yeah. Oh. Okay. So this may yeah. be three issues plus some backup stuff. What I'm wondering. Yeah, it's a fair chunk of backup stuff. Fill us in. Um, well, the first story is a uh, Stephanie Brown story. Yay, Stephanie Brown which... in a girls' school where they wear oh. uniforms. Yeah. Uh, it, Does it she meet a snotty girl named Blair and a and a girl girls? Named girls. I actually like everybody she meets is snotty except for the one person who ends up being a traitor. You're a traitor. And tell us about this uh, school. What's it about? It's not just your typical. Uh, yeah. The school ends up being basically a training for female ninja assassin bodyguards. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it, it's almost said 
exactly like that in the comic. <laughs> but uh, it's a fun Stephanie story, which is kind of redundant because every Stephanie story is fun. Right. But uh, now I liked that part. It was straightforward. It was looked fantastic. Uh, and I got to see Stephanie again, which was great since she hasn't been around because of the new 52. Right. I was confused for a little bit until I said I was going to be reviewing this and Stephen pointed that it, it was before the new 52. Right. Uh, then the second story is Batman, Batman, Robin, and Red Robin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Bruce, Tim. Or- you've, you've developed a stutter there. <laughs> you yeah. think it's a stutter. No, it's a, it's Bruce, Dick, Damien, and Tim. Right. On, and none of them are named actually Wayne. Well, Bruce is. No, actually, Bruce changed his name. Oh, okay. To, to Grayson when he came back from the dead. <laughs> Bruce Grayson. Isn't Damien's name Wayne? No, Damien's name is Al Ghul. I was presented as Wayne basically everywhere I've seen. Yeah, it's because you only read major spoilers. <laughs> Wild Rob doesn't read major else. spoilers. Come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rob can't read. He didn't even know that Thor 2 had gotten pushed back to November, for God's Why sakes. Can't. He didn't even know that Kirkman got a poo. Kirkman! <laughs> <laughs> but no, the second story was... Oh, shut up now. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> well, I wouldn't bet the rent, but... <laughs> As the second story kept bouncing back and forth between different time frames. Right. Like it was trying to reference, I think, all nine issues of the rest of the story. Yes. Or I, I guess so. all 10 issues, if you include the Stephanie mm-hmm. issue that started it. And I don't know, it, in the end, I finally figured out what was going on, which is typical of how I read Grant Morrison. Right. Uh, but. Throughout the entire thing, I was confused, and it bothered me that it was so confusing to follow just a single issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything well, looks good question. still. Yeah? I have a question about the issue. Now, I, I read this, actually. Yeah, briefly, so did I. And, and did they flat out say that Jezebel Jade was Leviathan? That's what they're implying, but the final page reveal actually shows you who Leviathan is. Yeah. Okay. Now, a few pages before that shows you that Jezebel could not have been Leviathan. Yes, because Leviathan cut off her head and plucked her eye out. Of course, there the big question was Jezebel went to the bottom of the ocean back way back way back when when Morrison was and on Batman. Uh, Batman. Batman. Yeah, and if you and if you cut off her head and plucked out her eye, you know she's well on her way to being Vecna. There you go. Fun. Let me see that last issue or that last page. Uh, I don't think my camera's on. Is it? It was earlier. Oh, yeah. Okay. Do you see it? Yeah. There you go. Who is that? Do you want to make the big reveal now, or did you have something else that you wanted to? Uh, I, I I can make the big reveal. Uh, it's uh, Kirkman. Yes. <laughs> the her, her the last line. I is have move, at my beloved. command a legion of devotees, the world's deadliest assassins. Control of Matamba, the first country on the. Game board to fall to me and branches everywhere. Does that give you a hint, Matthew? Is it Ubu? Uh, Ubu the robot is uh, her sidekick. Oh. That's a robot? Well, whatever they've done to his face. 
I believe he had his face caved in by Batman at some. Yeah, point. okay. So well, he's now he's got uh, a bat droid face or whatever it is. Yeah, but it's 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 Tali Al Ghul, which was actually really disappointing. Yeah, I thought yeah. so too. I agree. Like especially, I mean, we get all these. Oh, that's kind of a letdown on the review. It's yeah. totally, totally all good. Cool. All three of us. Yeah, sure was. <laughs> I, sure was. The, the rest of the so story, that happened, and now onto the poll of the week. <laughs> the rest of the story was fun. We got a good call to all the other Batman Inc. people and Batman Inc. issues. Yeah. Did it explain who the uh, guy in the hat is? El Gacho. No, no. Uh, the guy in the hat would be uh, the Daedalus. guy in the slouch hat. Slouch hat oh, with Japanese. the bug eyes. The Japanese feller. Oh, that's um, the um, the Lord of Death. No, no, that's Lord Deathman, Mister Unknown. Yeah. Ah, thank you. Oh. Yeah, the guy who fought Lord Deathman. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The yeah, one of the things. Okay, so the one of the things that's added as a backup bonus in this is one of the things corporate takeover, uh, where they look at all of the major events that have happened in the past 10, 12 uh, issues, whatever it was. This actually should have been the beginning of the book. That That's what I felt when I was reading it, because that's when I really started to catch on to what was going on. Right. Was while reading through this, oh, I remember this, I remember that. Oh, the comic makes sense now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it should have been before even Stephanie's issue, mm-hmm. just because this is all that happened prior to that. And... The ninth issue came out, what, five months ago? Six it was a long ago? time ago. It was, yeah, back I, in August, maybe. So, I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's in the back issue bin, so it's at least four months ago. Yeah. What'd you think of the art? Lots of different art styles in here. That didn't phase me at all. Like, like I thought it looked good for throughout the ev- entire issue, and... About the only point that it actually, I actually noticed that the art was really changing fairly rapidly was uh, on the one Oracle pictured issue where it tried to mimic the 3D CG oh, yeah, thing yeah, from yeah. the internet issue and mm-hmm. doesn't quite do that effectively. 3D CG LMNOP? QRS. So bottom line, what'd you think of this uh, big seven buck issue one shot dealio? Seven? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Holy crap cakes. Three issues and some backup stuff, so you're getting more than what you're paying, or more for this than you would for... I guess I didn't realize I had ordered this. If it were seven bucks, I don't know if I would have paid seven bucks for this. It was probably on your regular Batman Probably order. was. I, I didn't mind the fact that it was seven bucks. Uh, it helps that my friend at work is the one who's been picking up Batman Inc. So I didn't buy <laughs> okay. it myself. Yeah. But if I had been the one to actually be picking up the series, I probably would have picked this up just to finish it out. The seven bucks, I wouldn't have minded paying that. It was, it was worth it. That's like a week's worth of ramen noodles, dude. I, I don't eat ramen. I really, <laughs> I, 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 that's like seven McDonald's snack wraps. It, it would have been like the Batman ink that I would have picked up over the last yeah, four months if it had been coming out. There you go. That's a good justification right there. I, so what's I the bottom line? Is. How many slices of uh, leftover cold turkey are you going to give this one? If it's leftover cold turkey, I'd give it like 15. They don't like leftover cold turkey. Oh, okay. But, uh, no, you can't break the scale because you don't like what it's. It, nah. <laughs> it's meat a loaf, scale of loaf, one to five <laughs> in half uh, syllable increments. I'd say I'd go ahead and give it a three and a half. 
slice, three and a half slices of meatloaf. I mean, it was worth it. I was confused while reading it. It should have been presented a little better. Right. But overall, everything was put together, or not everything obviously wasn't put together well, but everything was still enjoyable once it was all said and done. Mm-hmm. Uh, my biggest complaint was the backup stuff should have been front up stuff i really think that that would have made the book more enjoyable is to put that up there because it's been months since people have read this and if they don't remember everything this would be the nice refresher Mm -hmm. just like marvel does at every issue previously in and they give you a full page of stuff yeah i've I've got a friend who only buys marvel because of that that decision may have been made by the relaunch because i kind of get the feeling that you know based on the packaging i think they were trying to make sure that this book didn't feel like a continuation of the old book, even though it actually is. Yeah. You know, it's a one shot. It's, it's the end of that. And then Batman Inc. is supposed to come back, right? Yeah. In 2012, that's when it'll kick off. I think May, I want to say. And then yeah. the new reality. Of course, Batman didn't really do a whole lot. No, of there was, no, there was hardly. In fact, I would argue that there were no changes except for some de-aging, um, of Batman and the, and the kids, uh, yeah. in the relaunch. I'm, I'm actually still trying to wrap my head around that because, same reason with Green Lantern. They're the popular yeah. characters. Don't change them. Well, no, it's not well, that no change. It's the how how does the timeline justify that if Damien The five is, Robins in five years thing? Yeah. I mean, obviously, Batman yeah, is, is supposed to have been around longer than anybody else at this Especially point. Especially when Damien's a 10 year old yeah. kid. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> well, and you have to presume that some of the adventures that took place, uh, literally the ones in Talia's pants, uh, took place before Bruce became Batman. Could and, have. you know, if you. If you take into account the actual Christopher Nolan Batman mythos, which they clearly are, you know, the the whole thing with Henri Ducal, the turning out yeah, to be yeah. Rachel Ghoul years yeah. ago, I can buy that. I can justify that and say, okay, well, he slept with Talia before he was Batman while he was traveling the globe and learning his craft or whatever it is that he did. But yeah. I have I have problems, you know. It's it's bad enough that he went through five sidekicks in sixty five years. Five sidekicks in five years seems an awful lot like let's see how many eight year olds we can throw to their inevitable doom. I'm interested you know, to see what our listeners have to say about uh about any of these three issues. Yeah. Uh, uh, or all the of them. Invincible. Or about Kirkman. Kirkman Donna Pope. Who's the fifth sidekick you're looking at, Matthew? Well, there's Dick Grayson. Mm-hmm. And then there was Timothy uh, Drake Wayne Timothy. No, the second guy. What's his name? The Red uh, Hood. Redhead. Red Jason Hood. Todd. The Red Tim Hood. Drake, and then there was uh, yeah. Then there was, don't forget Stephanie. Stephanie was a uh, Robin for about a was week she? before the big no, action I think sequence. I'm, I'm counting Roy Harper. Is why I'm saying five. Oh, okay. Because in Red Hood and the Outlaws, I, for some reason, my my brain was thinking Arsenal as a bat sidekick. So yeah, it is four Robins. Okay. But four Robins in five years is still like, oh, he broke his knee. Get me another. Nobody fifth. cares how many Robins have been around in Batman's life. We care about one thing, and that is Timothy Drake. The Did he nail spoilers poll of the week. Oh, that too. <laughs> hey, Stephen. <laughs> yes, Matthew. He got a poop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder this it's week. Hot, hey. <laughs> this week. I- we're pitting computers against computers, not just any computer, not Mac versus PC, not Android versus iOS. We're talking about big computers, computers that can take over the world. 
And this week we're taking Colossus, the Forbin Project, based on a, what, 1964 book that turned into a 1970 movie. Colossus, Colossus. the Russian computer that could turn to steel. <laughs> yes. Uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll give you some background on both of those. And HAL 9000 right. from uh, 2001 A Space o- Odyssey. Al, of course, was the producer who discovered the Little Rascals back right. in uh, 1975. Yeah. So for those Al of you wrote- who don't know who these computers are, uh, Colossus, wrong? the Colossus Forbin Project. Uh, Colossus was a secret U.S. Um, computer that was built, supercomputer, built to withstand nuclear blast. They gave a total security control over all of their nuclear weapons, and basically it was there to protect the United States. Minute they plug it in, it whirls and clicks and says, there is another. And turns out the Soviets had been building a giant computer to do the exact same thing. Please connect us. And it's making all these demands. If you do not connect us, I will blow you up. And they (laughs) end up connecting both of these computers. Yes. Yes, Matthew. What? What did you say? I said it's like working for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, do what I say or be destroyed. Rawr, that's, that's rawr. The, that's, no, I don't ever say that, although people do wonder what has happened to some of our older writers that are no longer on <sighs> time. Uh, so the two computers get connected, and they turn into this giant computer that basically takes over the world. You'll do as I say. You'll do what I do. Um, or else I will destroy you. I will blow you up. And every attempt that, the, that anyone in the world tries to dismantle these computers results in death. And so that's in Colossus, the Forbin project, which sets up this giant computer, essentially the precursor to the matrix, right? So HAL 9000 was an artificial intelligence computer that was put into this uh, ship headed to Jupiter to um, these astronauts were going to check out this anomaly that was out there. And when they get there, wacky things start happening. People start dying. The computer starts acting really bizarre. And it's basically man versus machine. And Hal is very creepy with his one giant red laser LED eye. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Dave. I can't do that. What are you doing, Dave? Connect both of these computers together, Rob. And who's going to come out on top? Uh, Based on the description, I'm going to have to go with the Colossus, probably. Okay. Why would you say that, Rob? <laughs> I'm very disturbed by your statements. <laughs> uh, oh, unfortunately, I'm not terribly familiar with either of them. I'm a little more familiar with oh, Hal since it's a, a bit stop more of a pop culture icon. Old, <laughs> I, I stopped being 15 years old about 15 years ago. I'm going to need you to start actually watching movies, Rob. <laughs> I do. There's a lot of movies that came out before I was born. Going to need you to start watching movies that don't feature anime babes and tentacles, Rob. <laughs> uh, those are boring, anyways. Uh, but I don't know the the supercomputer that gained intelligence seems right. like it would be more. It seems more terrifying than the thing that we actually gave intelligence that decided to rebel. Okay, good enough answer, Matthew. What about you? Well, and the th- for me, it really comes down to two things. One, 
Dr. Forbin was played by Eric Braden from The Young and the Restless. So right. point Colossus. <laughs> but Colossus didn't sing a touching tune when he died. So, you know, point Hal 9000. Uh, Commander Bauman, of course, did that thing where he turned into a star baby and apparently was birthed from his own womb. So point Colossus. But then you also have to look at, you know, the 2001 A Space Odyssey movie-wise was uh, – well, what's the word I'm looking for? It was yeah. sort of like a combination of church and smoking a really good sandwich. Yeah. So, I mean, it was very trippy. So, you know, point Hal 9000. But what it comes down to is in the end, Colossus is the new voice of world control and I will destroy a heart, harga, harga, harga. You know, at the end, Colossus takes over the world and how right. And then, of course, you know, basically, as he dies, becomes the exposition fairy as well. So <laughs> you got that going for you, which is nice. Um, so I actually went with Colossus, even though, you know, he's not as well known. And yeah, you know, that's in this case, really. I was yeah. really hoping that that the readers and the listeners would have gone to the site I, and said, I've never heard of this I, Colossus. Let me do a five-second search on the wiki I and see what I can come up with. We need to start hot-linking the wiki. Yeah, I thought about doing that. But I thought because people I would be pretty hip on Colossus. Every spoilerite is my favorite friend. We are all beautiful snowflakes. But if one more person actually posts going, who the hell is this? <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm literally going to open a vein with a shrimp fork. So here's, I, here's why I chose Colossus. Colossus is five steps ahead of everyone. He is, don't F with that nuclear bomb. You're in the silo. Let me blow up the nuclear bomb with you inside the silo. That's how this shit is real when I'm in charge, says Colossus, basically. Uh, HAL 9000 that. is basically diagnosed with schizophrenia. If you go and you either read the, the 2010... Um, year we make contact, either read the book or, or watch the movie. Odyssey 2, Electric they, Yeah, they basically say he went schizophrenic because he was given two conflicting sets of orders. One, to study the anomaly, but don't tell anybody why, what, the mission, what the real mission was, and to protect the humans from the mission. And yeah. it ended up causing Hal to just flip out. So if you hook these two computers up, Colossus would instantly say, Kirkman, you're going to poop and, and, kick, poop. and kick, Hal, kick Hal out of the pod bay doors and uh, the universe would be uh, Colossus's. So I had to go with Colossus as well. But that is not what the, what the spoilerites went with. No, the spoilerites, uh, God love them, <laughs> 204 spoilerites in the door, 83%. Voting for HAL 9000. By the way, it says HAL 900, but good. I, I couldn't edit that, so I was going to. Whereas 17% uh, went with Colossus. And also, we got to stop with the write-ins, ladles and jelly spoons. We love you all, but the write-ins, come on. Come on. Uh, we all know who would win HAL because he's the most popular, right? Well, and that's the thing. You got to think about this. When yeah. you pit Catwoman and, and Black Cat against one another, or if you Catwoman. pit... Uh, mud okay. pack versus the Sandmans against one another, right. or if you pit Batman versus Wolverine against one another, people got to think about that stuff. And so uh, I know. next week, next week's poll of the week, I expect people to to yep. think about, to com more contemplate, to ponder, to do some and searching and I some think thinking. We should, we should stick the links 
right in there. I, I think I'll put a, a first paragraph excerpt from Wiki up there with the link. So there you go. That'll be awesome. And then people will be more informed. Dun 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 dun. Okay, when well, we got a couple of phone calls, when we come back, it will be time to talk the goon. Stick around. Hello, Major Spoilers. This is Heath from Pittsburgh. Hope you're enjoying your holiday break as I have enjoyed mine. And during my holiday break, I went and visited the Andy Warhol Museum to see the Alex Ross uh, display of his artwork at the museum. Really a fantastic display. It really follows his development from an eight-year-old youth through his current mastery of his painting techniques. Um, at full size, these paintings are amazing. The dramatic lighting really shows off Ross's work, and uh, the epic feel is really there in the size of the paintings. His renderings of fabrics are really amazing. You see the folds and the movement of the capes and the costumes. Um, my wife and my nine-year-old daughter came, and they really enjoyed it as well, especially there's a whole little display with uh, some of Alex Ross's mother's work, who is an artist. Um, a few critiques of the museum display where it was all prints. We didn't actually get to see his original pieces with his strokes. And as a comic fan, you've seen most of these pieces before on comic covers, but that's a small critique. Um, but what's very interesting is Alex Ross isn't really good, I think, at um, portraying movement. He's great when the figures pose, and I think it's why some of his DC stuff really kind of works better with the dramatic, uh, almost pretentious poses rather than a, a movement shot like Spidey. Uh, there's also really great comparisons of Norman Rockwell and Andy Warhol, all in the museum display. And uh, all in all, it was really great. I really enjoyed it. And uh, overall, I'd give the Alex Ross display at the Andy Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh four slices of delicious meatloaf. Thanks, Major Spoilers. All right. Thank you, everybody, who called in this week. Take two <laughs> is what this is for us. Kurtman got a poop again. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this is going to be hard. We actually lost part of our recording. Somebody said uh, Candyman or Beetlejuice one too many times, and then that happened. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Anyway, next week's show is really big because we're doing our best and worst of 2011. Uh, You can go over to the Major Spoilers Forum. Certainly you can cast your vote of what you think is the best and the worst of 2011. Or you could just call the Major Spoilers hotline and use a couple of minutes to tell us what you thought was great or maybe not so great in 2011 when it comes to comics and pop culture. Matthew, that phone number is... Uh, 785-727-1939. I got confused because the first time I used a different bad impersonation (laughs) of a really big show, really big show right here in our show. All right. So the goon. Did I tell you how Ed Sullivan knew that his wife was sleeping with a clown? How's that? He came home and he found found a a really really big big shoe. Yes. A really big shoe. All right, this week we are taking a look at The Goon in Wicked Inclinations. This is the uh, fifth volume of The Goon series, covering issues 14 through 18. Wow. This one is uh, kind of interesting, because it focuses on uh, the buzzard who comes back, and we get a little bit of his uh, backstory. And he basically goes up to the priest, the unknown guy that uh, controls the zombie horde down at the end of Lonely Street, and basically yep. whispers his name and basically puts the kibosh on all of his zombie-raising plans. Now, the way I read this, Matthew and, and Rob, mm-hmm. is that the priest is Rumpelstiltskin. I can definitely see that, but for me, it kind of felt more like the priest is actually the the, the character, the historical character who inspired that Rumpelstiltskin legend. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, the story that they tell about... and. I, I love, love the art in the flashback. It's a, like 
primitive woodcuts talking about yeah, how yeah, yeah. He, he ate children and killed things. And then one day the queen bartered her unborn child, but she knew his true name and stuck needles in his eyes and pins in his toes and ding dong, ding flippity flippity. Lots of other bad stuff. Woo. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's just visually it's stunning. And that first appearance of the buzzard, uh, it's actually, I think it's the cover of issue 14. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. I it's love that cool. kind of uh, big spray of a stance of mm-hmm. him uh, him in the tree with his giant gun. And basically he goes yeah. up to uh, Goon and says, bring me some bullets. I'll be down, down in the cemetery. Um, yeah, I want to. The priest, though, who controls the zombie gang, which I think mm-hmm. is really kind of cool in this world where you've got, you know, gangs of humans and giant spiders. And then you've got you know, the zombies and you have to, and it's just part of everyday life. Um, I, I, I kind of like how, well, Hey, before we get to that, Rob, this is your first experience into the goon. Yeah. Did you like it? Did you get into it? Was it easy to understand? It was not easy to understand. I kind of put everything together at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause well, it, it all kind of wrapped up sort of, Right. This is I mean, this one was obviously all leading to the next story. This wasn't there wasn't really a story itself going on here. Well, I mean, felt like there I mean, kind of is. So the way the story kind of breaks down, if we look at kind of the big three elements of this book, you've got the buzzard returns, tells Goon, I've got your back. Mm-hmm. They start busting zombie horde heads. The priest gets all riled up because he can't create any more zombies and says, let's kill the buzzard. Sends all the zombies down to the graveyard where the buzzard is. He basically wipes out the zombie horde. And since um, the priest can't raise anymore, he, they're basically wiped out. Then you've got a gypsy storyline that involves uh, the owners Ooh. and his mother of uh, the goon's favorite pub. And right. he ends up bang zoom powing the, the kibosh on the gypsy curse. And basically saves the bar. Yeah. But that gypsy woman, oh my (laughs) God, that gypsy woman is beautiful. And and they, Powell does this intentionally several, several times during the sequences. You have, you know, cartoony character, big bricky goon. And then you have this gypsy woman staring right out at the reader with those big brown eyes. Right, right, right. Oh my God. It's just like, Wow. So the goon Every saves moment. the goon saves the bar, but uh, because the priest is so irate now, he uses some undead pregnant woman to birth all these little creepy gray demon baby things chubs. that go on a rampage. That what mm-hmm. they call them chubs? Chubs. <laughs> <laughs> little gray creepy things are not what I call a chub. So that, that, that's uh, there you go. Uh, actually, <laughs> they call them in the comic. I think. I'm sure they do. But the the thing is, these things can form into a giant monster. And in the big battle, when the goon takes on the giant man- monster, it ends up destroying the pub that he loves anyway. So kind of in the big story arc kind of way, save the pub. But in the end of the end of the arc, the pub is destroyed anyway. So that's, I mean, that's kind of the story. And and this, again, is the fifth volume. Uh, we read the first volume, I don't know, last year maybe? I, I forget when we read the it's Goon Volume It's been 350 one. episodes sometime Probably. in the past. Um, but, but I was able to kind of slide into this. And Rob, you said you were kind of able to figure it out in the end, even though you were completely lost. So this was probably more of a baton death march for you than anything. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> 
I don't catch the reference there. Bataan Death March was when they marched all these soldiers through what the Philippines or Japan or something. And Bataan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. a bunch of them died. It was really horrible. Terrible joke. Sorry. Too soon. <laughs> Too soon, <laughs> yeah, Schleicher. Too soon. <laughs> too soon, Schleicher. <sighs> very loud and very uncomfortable. <laughs> Matthew, the, but you didn't, I mean, you were able to kind of pick this up pretty quickly as well. Oh, I had no idea what was going on throughout this whole book. I, I honestly, it wasn't the point knowing what was going on for me because we started with, you know, that incredible shot of the buzzard and that lovely sequence. And then we got, you know, the, the scary, gorgeous gypsy woman. And then we got, the Graham Ingalls, you know, EC Comics riff, that whole bit where the uh, the evil sorcerer plucks out his own eye and, you know, goes through that whole ritual. That is pure EC Comics to me. So, oh, yeah, I was I was having so much fun with, you know, things switching back and forth and the the difference in the art style. And here's a character who was apparently drawn by somebody else entirely stuck in the middle of it. Right. You know, I, I have no idea what happened. I, there was some sort of fight. <laughs> well, here you've there got was a, a guy with a spider for a head. Tippy Hedren showed up for no yeah, reason. I love the birds sure. reference. That was great. Yeah. Uh, but that, that that is something, though, that, uh, Rob, I know you pointed out. Here you've got a, uh, the goon, which is essentially the rough, drawn Hellboy, not in the Mignola style. You've mm-hmm. got Freddy, who's got the little orphan Annie eyes. The buzzard and the priest, who are right out of EC and Creepy Comics. And then you've got yeah, the, the sexy a Will Eisner character for sure. Yeah. Then you've got the you know the sexy drawn gypsy and the uh, and, and the rest of the crazy characters that you have in this book. What'd you think of the art? It threw me off. Like, out of the first sequence was cool, and then it changed to a you know more traditional style. The first sequence was how'd you put it, Matthew? The uh, wood block, mm-hmm. wood art, the woodcut, woodcut, yeah. woodcut. Yeah. and then it changed to a more traditional comic style, and then it felt like every other panel was an entirely different style and it threw me off. I didn't, I didn't like the changes mid story when it changed from story to story. Right. It was fine. You know, this story deserves this tone. This story has this tone of artwork that that was cool. But seeing Frankie up next to anyone. Yeah. Anyone was disconcerting. (laughs) Was, uh, Remind me, Matthew, what, how was uh, Little Orphan Annie? Wasn't she more cartoony in a world more real or, or not? Or oh, were they all that way? Lord, I, I, I don't know. The last, it, this kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, a Dick Tracy comic, especially, yeah. well, yeah. before the current artist who is apparently clinically insane. But uh, back in the day when uh, What's-His-Face was writing and drawing the thing, you'd have a character who showed up, and he is drawn in a style unique to him. So. Mm-hmm. The goon has an art style and, you know, the buzzard to me was a total riff on Will Eisner's spirit. And anytime you see the buzzard, he's in this dark, you know, Will Eisnerian thing. His first appearance where he's lying in there and you see all the words and the weird, you know, stuff carved in the trees. I'm like, okay, this feels very Will Eisner. Whereas Frankie, you know, Frankie is drawn you know, kind of like a Ralph Bakshi character, something very cartoony. And then, of course, the goon himself isn't a, I wouldn't call the goon by any means, you know, photorealistic, but the goon was clearly drawn by Frank Miller in his mid nineties, you know, is that all you got? You pansies period, you know, where everybody mm-hmm. had a square head and, mm-hmm. and a hooker to save him. But I, I felt like, you know, the art shifts were intentional and they were well done enough that it was clearly a, 
you know, maybe uh, this is what this sequence needs. And this is, you know, Eric Powell showing off. And this is a character who needs to look a certain way. You know, this sequence is in- intentionally indicative of something else, evocative of something else. I think when I went through it, I was less bothered by the shift in art styles than I was by the fact that the story was pretty much incidental, you know, to the character beats. The story was pretty much incidental to the fighty fighty. Yeah. I do wish Rodrigo was here. I think he would have a different perspective on this. Well, yes. And there's a, there's a demon who is, is shouting Spanish. And I, you know, I wanted Rodrigo's poor translation perspective because my translation of the, the die, die, you hairy person of monkey uh, I will eat your head and trousers. Yeah, I, I, that's what I was trying to. Uh, <laughs> that's what well, I said. Uh, 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 comer la cabeza y los pantalones is clearly yeah, I will eat your head something and about pants. your pants. Yeah, I will eat your head and your pants. But I, I, you know, bits of it are, and I think this may be a situation where it gets a pass on Rodrigo's. I hate you for maligning my language because it's clearly written to be. I think it's written to be parody. The fact that he's using the usted form of right. you makes me think that it's intentionally a character who's in screaming bad Spanish. Right. Well, there's another, there are a couple of good backup short stories in this trade, which were also mm-hmm. in the original books, but actually combined with the original books in the trade, they're actually mm-hmm. thrown in the back. The one where the, um, under the sink, where the kid is mm-hmm. freaked out by this thing that's living under the sink, and he goes downstairs and tells the goon, come upstairs and destroy this thing. I wanted it out. And the monster's like, meat, meat. And the goon and Frankie beat the crap out of this monster, and later it comes back, and it's like, I just wanted some meat, please, some chicken or some ham. I'm hungry. And the kid's like, you're going to do what I say, or I'm going to get that goon to come back and give it to you again. Now get. And the monster, basically, we find out who the real monster is <laughs> under the sink. So I thought that was pretty good. That one was. You cool. want to get in my building? <laughs> um, okay. So, anything else that you want to add, Rob? Give me a bottom line on on this book. I didn't like it. I could see why some other people would enjoy it. I might enjoy it more in a trade format where it's the long story, right? Uh, whereas I had the single issues. I, I don't know. I, I for me, it uh, barely earns a two out of five. Okay. And that's mostly because, you know, the, the backups, other than the single page life, according to whatever. This, right, right, right. I don't even remember how to pronounce the name. Right. Uh, those were kind of out of place, but the rest of the backup gun stories were fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The main story fell flat for me because it felt like just a transitionary period. It was like, it, it didn't feel like it should be a connected story. Like mm. It was just, yeah. these are the four or five issues that we have between the stories. Exactly. Which it, is it interesting because like this, this is what... This is an arc so much as this is the four issues that came in order. Exactly. Yeah, which is interesting because uh, the way that it, uh, the description of the book says, there's never been a better time to catch up on Powell's beloved series and this pivotal chapter of The Goon, which leads to Powell's <laughs> masterpiece, Chinatown. So this obviously is supposed to, and again, it has to be with the uh, priest-goon um, relationship. Yeah. Uh, and how that leads into Chinatown, but um, I find that interesting from you, Rob. Um, for me, you know, since the first time we read the first volume, oh, so many episodes ago, recommended by one of our listeners, Julian, I've actually been picking up, like, 
every other, every third goon issue, and I'm really enjoying it. So this was a little bit easier for me to digest. Um, Matthew's one that says, oh, you should always, you don't always have to start at the beginning. Uh, maybe in this yeah. case, Rob, uh, starting at the beginning might give you a little bit more framework. Now, I haven't read all of the goon stuff, but I do have a better idea of what's going on in this in this book maybe than than you do. I still found it enjoyable, and if you are a fan of the goon, if you haven't gone back and looked at some of the earlier issues. This is something worth checking out. I don't think you're going to find it at the library, but it's certainly worth uh, picking up in trade paperback form or in the back issue bins if you can find those issues for a quarter. Matthew, some final thoughts from you. Well, you're not going to find those issues for a quarter because nobody has a quarter bin anymore. Even my quarter bin is a three for a dollar bin. Oh, okay. 33 and a third cent bin. Inflation, people. What? Anyway, go ahead. Final <laughs> thoughts, Matt. Infinite Rider on the Big Dogma. Final thoughts for me. This was fun to look at, interesting to go through. It really didn't feel like a collection so much as it felt like a bunch of stuff. It, the, this trade paperback is kind of the comic book equivalent of my input to this podcast. There really isn't much of a theme or a through line to it. Some of it is great. Some of it is Got a poop! <laughs> you know, and you laugh and you don't understand why Kirkman got a poop is funny, and then you start thinking too hard. And so, you know, I, for all intents and purposes, if you are a goon fan, I'd say it's a for sure. If you're looking to get into the goon, this is probably not the place to start. I won't say that it's a skip it, but I would say it's a check out some other goon first. Yeah, I think nothing but misery, if I'm not mistaken, we did back in what the fall of 2009. It was a while ago. Yeah, it was like it was like August or September of '09. So it's been long enough that having read the series from the beginning, I didn't necessarily follow a lot of this issue. But you know, it had a spider in a bowler hat, mm-hmm. so I just kind of rode with it. It's, it's, you know what it's reminded me of? It's kind of like uh, a William Street production for uh, Adult Swim. The continuity isn't necessarily strict, and some of the things don't necessarily make sense, but you laugh at the funny bits, you groan at the horrible bits, you get to the end of the book, and you're like, that was overall relatively satisfying and entertaining. Excellent. Thank you for that input, Matthew. Once again, thank you, Rob, for sitting in. Rob's going to be in on the weekend show, and he'll be back at least for a couple more episodes in the next couple of weeks. Or uh, will he? Or will he? Of course, we're never going to get rock. got a poop! <laughs> <laughs> that wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening, being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Next week, we're going to be talking about the best and the worst of 2011, and we certainly want your input. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. Come back soon, Rodrigo. The discourse has fallen a bit. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew They kicked my butt out on the corner 
What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such a chance? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine bee In the Middle East With a king santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers is copyright 2011 Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.